as we uh, prepare uh, for this morning service or the, the, this morning's text, please turn with me to Psalm 73. It's on page 423 of your Pew Bible. Psalm 73. We're actually going to, to look at the whole of the psalm, which might sound odd since we're preaching from Amos 6. But I believe that uh, the psalmist here has some a helpful picture of life, some of the realities of life, and will help us understand what Amos is getting at in chapter 6. So again, uh, we'll, let's look at Psalm 73. Listen now to God's Word. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness, the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, and you cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors, like a dream when one awakens. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered, and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and arrogant, or senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I have nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. For our New Testament reading this morning, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. Verses 24 to 29, that's found on page 157 of your pew Bible. And here Paul is, is 
presenting an alternative picture to the, the life of ease that, that we saw of the wicked. Again, this is Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God wills to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Amen. And then the text of primary focus, Amos chapter 6, which is found on page 653. This is, uh, to some degree, the beginning of the end for Amos. It's the last of his kind of announcements of judgment. And we'll see what he has for God's people. Not just in his day, but through the ages. Listen now to God's word. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. The distinguished men of the foremost of nations, to whom the house of Israel comes, go over to Kalman and look. And go from there to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity, and would you bring near the seat of violence? Those who recline on beds of ivory, and sprawl on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stalls, who improvise to the sound of the harp, and like David, have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls, while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles, and the sprawlers banqueting will pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts has declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. And it will be if ten men are living in one house, they will die. Then one's uncle or his undertaker will lift him up to carry out his bones from the house. And he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else with you? And the one will say, No one. Then he will answer, Keep quiet, for the name of the Lord is not to be mentioned. For behold, the Lord is going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces and the small house to fragments. Do horses run on rocks? Or does one plow them with oxen? 
Yet you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar and say, have we not by our own strength taken Karnaim for ourselves? For behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God of hosts, and they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. Amen. Let's now take a moment and silently meditate on God's word. Heavenly Father, as we come together, praying with one voice, worshiping with one voice, glorifying you with one voice. Lord, we come to you in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak through your word by your spirit, that you would give us clear instruction or help us to see clearly that which you have already revealed. We pray, Lord, um, that that this text would bring into focus the temptations of the world and our need to stand firm uh, clinging to our Redeemer. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, uh, Amos chapter 6 is kind of the end of, of Amos's announcement of judgment. It is true that he goes on and he speaks of judgment in the, the final three chapters, but it takes a little bit of, of a different form or a different shape. It, uh, there uh, we see kind of visions explained and, and Amos sees pictures of, of what is to come. But here we have the final proclamation, as it were, the final announcement of judgment. And in this, Amos is presenting uh, two ways to live and some of the consequences of those two ways of life. One, uh, as we will we'll see, is a picture of peace, but it's peace like in myself and peace in the fact that I don't have to struggle or work hard. I can dwell at ease. Peace. And the second is going to be peace with the Lord. And we understand, right, as we think about peace with the Lord, that that comes through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that when we have peace with God, we, we should have peace with others. But that's not the, the contrast that Amos is depicting here. He's showing that there is this life, uh, this pursuit of peace with the Lord, wherein we have a relationship with the Lord, our sins are forgiven, and, and we also see this picture of uh, people pursuing worldly success, worldly good, for the end that they have a peaceful, easy life. As we just read in the text, and as we'll see this morning, that peaceful, easy life is an idol. The peaceful, easy life is not a guarantee of our relationship with the Lord. And for the people in Amos' day, we see that the, their pursuit of that peaceful, easy life led to their destruction. 
So today, as we reckon with uh, how we are to live our lives before the face of the Lord, we need to be people that cling to the Lord Jesus, seeking peace with the Lord and not necessarily peace just within ourselves. We see in the beginning of Amos 6 that he presents um, kind of a clear picture of what this peaceful life ends up looking like. Uh, we see in verse 4 that, that, that there are these people there that um, are dwelling or, or residing on beds of ivory, probably inlaid with ivory. I can't imagine that laying on ivory would be comfortable, but such as, uh, as it was, they did. Um, we see also in verse 4 that they eat lambs of the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. And that seems odd to me, um, but, but I think what that means is that this is a calf that's not used for, for work, right? This isn't uh, something that is going to be a beast of burden. Rather, this is a, a calf that's kept in the stall and fed and fattened. For what purpose? Um, to eat, right? And, and so you see these, these people that are, that are um, gorging themselves, as it were, on the fat of the land. We see that they're drinking bowls that, uh, of, of wine and, and they're creating songs, um, kind of idle songs for their own entertainment. They have a life that sounds pretty good. It certainly is at ease. We might even call it a life of opulence or luxury. And we've said in the past, you know, having material wealth is not in and of itself sin. However, uh, we see that their attitude is not quite right. It says in verse 6 that they've not grieved over the ruin of, of Joseph. Well, how do we understand that? Well, likely we understand in the past chapters we saw that the Lord you know, poured out judgment on Israel and, and kept calling for the people to repent and return and they got more and more unpleasant. And it seems that the people um, in chapter 6 are to some degree insulated from that difficulty. It seems that the people of chapter 6 are, are, haven't wrestled with that. So as they see the, the grief that is caused by the ruin of these other people, they're not affected. They don't, they don't get upset. They don't have any care for their fellow man. They're too busy being at peace. Peace within themselves. Peace that they get to have good meals and enjoy life. And I think if we think about this, we, we need to recognize that if they're on one side, Amos is on another side, and he's saying, you need to follow the Lord. You need to pursue the Lord. You need to return to the Lord and, 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 and trust in the Lord. And between the two, you probably had a third group of people. So the, the people pursuing peace and living lives of luxury on one side, Amos on the other saying, you need to return to the Lord. And you'd have a people in the middle that would have said, why in the world am I going to listen to Amos? Because these people over here, they're eating excellent food, right? They're, they're doing whatever they want, and they don't suffer or have any difficulty. So I kind of want to join that bunch. Well, part of the reason why we looked at Psalm 73 this morning is because that um, is a picture of that temptation. How does it start? 
It starts with the psalmist saying, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Standard opening. But he goes on to say, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why the crisis of faith? Why the, the, the uncertainty? The next few verses are, make it clear. He sees the wicked and they seem to be at peace. They, he sees the wicked and they seem to be succeeding. They have what they want. They have painless lives, painless deaths even. And so you, he even wonders, why in the world should I break my back following the Lord? Why should I give up what is good if these people get to live in the life of luxury and have no consequence. You know, as a kid, I always thought it was kind of odd when I'd go to church and we'd hear about missionaries, you know, just kind of starting to learn what missionaries were. You know, okay, these are people that that the Lord has set set apart to to proclaim the gospel to, to people that don't know the Lord. I thought, okay, that's really cool. They must be like super Christians, right? And they must be like, uh, well, you know, these are the people that, that they go and, and they do what the Lord wants them to do and they communicate what the, the Lord tells them to. I mean, surely if anyone deserves like a Ferrari, it's, it's a missionary, right? They probably have the biggest houses and they probably have the fastest cars. Why? Well, in my own little brain, I was thinking, well, Clearly, the Lord's going to reward those who follow him, and so this makes sense. That kind of shows how little I understood about Christian living. But we all, you know, that question kind of uh, uh, hits us all. How do we contend with the fact that there are people who seem to have all of this world's goods and do not follow the Lord? How is that fair? Well, as we think about that, um, and and we are going to answer that, we we need to recognize that for our time and and place, um, the the problem is is all the more acute. Uh, Forbes magazine says that um, there are 600, in 2020, there are 614 billionaires living in the United States. That's billion with a B. I don't know any of them, but apparently they're around. Um, We live in the wealthiest country in the history of the world. Not just in terms of uh, monetary amounts, but but also in terms of land. Uh, We have natural resources. Also on the list is Sweden. They only have 35 billionaires. Poor Sweden, I know. But as we think about Sweden, okay, all right, so they have material wealth, developed nation, wonderful, all that. Um, They're roughly 120th the size of the United States. What does that mean? In part, what it means is that I'm free to go where I want, do what I want, dig whatever it is that I want out of the ground, make something out of it, sell it, and get rich. Why shouldn't I do that? We live in this world um, where we are tempted to to pursue wealth. We are tempted to pursue material success and to to try to live, to to make your own peace, as it were. 
And here again, the United States is big enough. If I don't like anybody, I could just move to Montana and then I don't have to see anyone. Right? How do we contend with this temptation? Whether it's Amos 6 and, and the, the, the people who are not grieved over the, the ruin of Joseph or whether it is um, the people in Psalm 73, we have to see that the solution to this, the solution to this in our thinking is that we have to look to the Lord. If I could have Psalm 73, 16 and 17 put up, uh, we see here that the psalmist says, when I pondered to understand this, that's why the, the wicked are prospering and why you know, the godly are not, uh, when I pondered this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. He didn't just perceive their end, he also perceived his end. Let me explain. As he comes into the, the sanctuary of God, right, he, he comes to the place where, where offerings are made, where, where people, uh, you know, would come to, to worship. As we think about entering into the sanctuary, uh, we remember um, the Lord Jesus, right, who has paid for our sins. And I, I want to highlight this particularly John 2.2, 2, talking about, 1 John 2.2, 2, talking about the Lord Jesus, says that he is our propitiation. And if we can have that up there, you'll also see um, that next to propitiation is a funny looking word. It's a Greek word. Um, it says elasmus or hilasmus. And, and as you think about that, I put that there because propitiation is not likely a word that you've used in the last week just in normal you know, conversation. And so we need to think about what this is. Right? This is a description of the Lord Jesus, and it's, it, it, it has to do with our sins. And as we encounter the Lord Jesus, how are we to think about Him and our sin? In essence, as Psalm 73 says, what, what do we think about when we come into the sanctuary? Well, if I could, just uh, if, you, if you think about Exodus 25, 19 which they're going to put up in just a second. Um, it says, make one cherub, right? This is about the, the Ark of the Covenant. It says, make one cherub at one end, and on the other end, make another cherub, and you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. And there's a word mercy seat. And this is related because if we look at the Greek translation of mercy seat, we see elasterios, which... If you look, if we were to go back and forth, you'd see that the words are similar. They actually share the same root. So what does this mean? It means that when John is saying what he's saying about Jesus, it's like he's saying when you come to the Lord Jesus, you find the Lord's mercy seat. Now, it's odd to talk about Jesus as a piece of furniture, but bear with me, right? We remember that the Ark of the Covenant sat in the, the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle and later in the temple, and that the people, the, the, the priests would come to the Holy of Holies and there seek mercy from the Lord, and it was understood, right, that he would receive mercy from the mercy seat. Caleb, you can take that down. Well, if we say that Jesus is the mercy seat, if that's what John is trying to say, and it is, what that means is that when we come to the Lord Jesus, that is where we receive mercy. 
That is where we receive grace. That is where we receive um, all of the blessings of the Lord. So to put this into that Psalm 73 context, what does this mean? When we look at life and we see that the wicked who live at peace within themselves are prospering and we're wondering how in the world do we live? How in the world do we follow the Lord when they get what they want and they do what they want? The answer to that is we go to the sanctuary. We go to the temple. There we find the Lord Jesus. There we find our sins are forgiven. There we actually receive the Lord Jesus. Paul talks about this in a couple of different ways. The first is actually in Philippians 3.8. And there he says, uh, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Here you have Paul, who, who had some uh, earthly renown, some, some earthly goods, as it were. And as he came to know the Lord Jesus, he lost all of those things. But he gained Christ. And he said, when I consider what I lost, I count it but rubbish. Why? Because of the all-surpassing value of knowing the Lord Jesus. So what's the answer to, to Amos 6 when the, you know, the people might hear Amos speaking and they might see the people uh, um, uh, doing what they want and, and living at ease? The answer to that is to look to the Lord Jesus. So look to the Lord who has delivered us, right? Because no matter what, knowing the Lord Jesus will be far greater than any of the world's goods. Paul talks about this in another passage. It's Colossians 1, 24 to 29. We read it before, but I'm going to repeat it because it's important to have in our minds. Paul writes this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now I'm going to pause right there just for a moment and say, that sounds very, very strange. What in the world is Paul talking about when he says he's making up for Christ, for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Let me tell you what it is not. It does not mean that, that the Lord Jesus, by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, has given you mostly righteousness, and that you just needed Paul's sufferings to help give you the extra little bit of righteousness. That's not what it means to make up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. With regard to the merit or the efficacy of Christ's work, there is nothing lacking. The only thing lacking is the display. And by that, what I mean is that though I wholeheartedly trust in Christ and believe in Christ, I've never seen Christ. I have never seen physically him suffer. Why? Because I'm not more than 2,000 years old, right? I mean, this is not, I, I just, I do not live at the time and space when he lived. Neither did Paul. 
Neither did the Colossians. And so what does Paul say? He says, I make up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, and there's nothing lacking in in their efficacy. You just haven't seen them yet. So you see Paul, who has suffered on behalf of Christ. You see Paul, who, who bears the marks of Christ in his body. And when you see Paul suffering, what do we say as we see something like that? We say, wow, that man must be fully convinced that Jesus loves him and died for him. And he was. And as you see that lived out, you then understand that Christ loves you just as much and more. Right? We see, this, um, we see this actually when we think about um, folks in the military. Folks who have suffered for our freedom. And when we see folks that have suffered for our freedom, and we kind of understand some of their stories and some of the pain, it makes us understand, right, the, the, I know it's a little cheesy, but it's true that freedom isn't free, the cost of that freedom So also, Paul is saying that when the Lord Jesus suffered for him and suffers for the Colossians, that becomes more real to the Colossian people when they see Paul suffer. And so he rejoices. Now, if we think about, you know, Amos speaking in kind of these two ways of of living, that there's the man who's seeking his own peace and there's the man who's seeking peace with the Lord— and the, and, and the folks kind of wondering, well, why should I follow <laughs> Amos' uh, instructions? We see here in Paul someone who is. And it presents a life that is radically different. It presents a life that, that is dying to itself, right? That it might live to the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's a life that says that I will follow the Lord no matter what. As we think about this, as we think about um, why we should seek the Lord and not our own peaceful living, right? The, the psalmist was, was distressed until he came into the sanctuary. The first part he understood in the sanctuary is that that's where he receives grace from the Lord. But the second thing that he understands in the sanctuary is what the end of the wicked is going to be. Psalm seventy three eighteen says, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. And I think that's an amazing picture. Um, you know, it, it, if there's ice skaters in the room, don't listen. But everybody else you know, who's ever not had ice skates on and, and been in the middle of a, a sheet of ice, right? You're standing there, and it's okay. But if you move, you're going to fall, right? And that seems to me to be kind of a good picture of what the psalmist says about those that are living wickedly and yet have every good. As long as they don't do anything, they'll be all right. But the second they reach for wickedness, they're going to fall. Now, this might not happen in this life, but we can be assured that that all will face judgment. And we see here... 
that Amos says this very thing in verse 8, right? Um, the Lord God has sworn by himself. The Lord God of hosts has declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. So what is he saying? He's saying these people who do what they want and seem to live the lives that they want, it's okay for now, but eventually they're going to face judgment and it's not going to be pretty. Now, as I've said, um, you know, this is when Amos kind of finishes the announcement of his judgment. Sadly, uh, we know that, that this doesn't end in Israel repenting and returning to the Lord. In fact, at the end of Amos 6, it says that um, he's going to, to raise up another nation that's going to destroy them. And he does with the Assyrians. How should we respond? Not like Israel. How should we respond? We, as God's people, need to hear um, the words of Amos. And we need to recognize that with all of the material wealth of our nation, and again, that, that is not inherently wrong, but we, we do need to honor the Lord with it. But as we see folks around us doing whatever they want and seeming to, to live lives of peace, we need to remember that the Lord says, no, you're to follow me. We need to, to as we think about that, as we are tempted to, to say, well, why don't I just go over there? We need to remember two things, right? First, that we belong to the Lord. And he has already established peace between us and God. And there is no greater thing that we could ever possibly imagine. That's one. And second, we need to recognize that those who do seek worldly goods apart from the Lord, who wander away from him, will face judgment and it will be awful. It will be terrible. And so we then need to conclude as Psalm 73 concludes, where the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Folks, we have nothing other than the Lord. We need to cling to him. Now, maybe that means that we, we have the missionary who gets the Ferrari and gets the big house, but probably not. It's important to remember that wherever we are, with whatever the Lord has blessed us, we're to be content and we're to rest secure knowing that in Christ we have all things. And in Christ... Death is not the end, but is the beginning of eternity with the Lord. So again, we need to say, as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let us make the Lord our refuge, and may we declare that peace that we have with God to all. May we tell of his redemption of our broken, sinful lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are our 
God, you have redeemed us. Lord, we pray that um, we would cling to you and follow you all the days of our lives. That we would not see uh, the opulence uh, of, of those who, who do not seek you as tempting. But may we see it as, as Amos describes, folks who've turned justice into wormwood. Poison. Lord, may we cling to you, our Redeemer and Lord. Amen.